It's good to hear the life in the room. Good to hear people talking and engaging. Great to have you in here. Go ahead and have a seat. And welcome to Southfield. It was fun. I was walking in the side door and the, the song that was playing, the words that were literally playing were, I choose joy. I choose joy. And uh, you were joyfully greeted this morning as you came in. Had camp songs playing and some of the kids out there uh, dancing to camp songs. Yeah. What a, what, you know, I, don't, I don't know what mood you pulled into the parking lot in today. You certainly pulled into some gloomy, chilly weather. And to pull in and see some people who uh, have lots of energy and lots of love for God, just really, it has a way of, of lifting you up, lifting yeah. your spirit. So very, very good. And, and in many ways, uh, it was that kind of week with some of the events that went on. There were some joyful things. And so yes, uh, we'll, be, we'll be talking about those in a little bit. But how are you today? Good. I am uh, emotionally exhausted. Yeah? Why is and that? physically exhausted. It's been an up and down crazy week. We're going to get to Donuts and Dodgeball here in a minute, but yeah. that was Wednesday night. Thursday night, to dispel any community rumors, I did get a double technical and kicked out of a basketball game, <laughs> but it had nothing to, I didn't say anything wrong. I did nothing, like, I've already had people asking. I had a kid get hurt. The refs didn't stop the game, so I ran out. And I, so my emotions went, like, through the roof then, and then the next day, I had to come right back down to officiate Riley's cousin Daniel's wedding, and man, it's just been like up, down, up, down, up, down, and yesterday, I slept the entire day. <laughs> I, was, I was just wiped out. So it was a great week and a crazy week, all wrapped up into one. Yeah, lot, just a lot going on, so yeah. a lot of, lot of fun. This is one of the reasons I don't do sports. So anyway, <laughs> <laughs> you got your weekend update this week, and there were, two, there were two things on there that I don't know that we've advertised up till now, right? Oh my goodness, that's the wrong one. That's not that's not helpful. And that I and I changed this already. Uh, Sherry, that's what, can November we, 7th. what can we do? Can you go back into the announcements and just like click it every ten seconds before it scrolls? How about how about that or that? There it is. <laughs> no, that's not it. Okay. So anyway, here's what happened. Uh, it's been an adventuresome morning. So one of them has to do with football. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we had some people sign up yesterday because next Sunday. We are going to be going over to the soccer field at Shanahan Junior High and spending some time playing some flag football. That's for everybody, high school age and up. And so if you have brothers, sisters, cousins, friends, neighbors that you want to invite out there, even if they don't show up on Sunday morning, this is a, a cool way to, to get people in, um, to show them that Christians like to have fun too. Mm -hmm. And that we can, mm -hmm. we can play things like football and we can do it in a, a way that honors God and hopefully that eases the invitation then uh, for, for them to come back during the Christmas season. So that's what we're looking forward to. Uh, that's, again, next Sunday afternoon. We are asking if you plan on going that you register just so that we have an idea of, of who's coming and, and size and all that so we can get enough waters and Gatorades and things like that out there for you. So, um, so yeah, if you can, sign up. But if you I, don't, just show up. <clears throat> I haven't decided yet, but I'm sincerely debating. You'll, you'll, know by, you'll know by 11.59 tonight. What? Okay. You'll <laughs> That's know incredible. By tonight. Okay, now everybody has to come because this is going to be a show. <laughs> it, it'll be fun. I'm good on defense, I promise. I'm a 240-pound I'm wall. I will, I, will, I will stop you dead in your tracks. So that works. Um, the other one, actually, I'm going to have you talk about as well, which is the, the, the gingerbread event, I'll call it. So go yeah, for that. Yeah, well... <clears throat> That coming up, uh, December 5th, right after church, we are going to be bringing all of our, our Southfield families together. So that's everybody from uh, little kids on up through junior high. Uh, if, if you just want to connect with families, this is going to be a really, really cool event. We've got, um, again, our three different teams that are going to be involved here that are going to be going through and, and doing some stuff. And we are all making um, some things out of gingerbread, and we're going to be following a storyline along the way, and it's, it's just going to be a really cool time uh, to get together, especially as we head into Christmas. We, since we missed the fall event that we were going to do, we want to make sure that, that we're getting families connected here and so we can recognize faces, talk to each other, uh, and get to know each other for, um, for later on down the road, build those relationships. So that's December 5th, right after church, and that Again, that's something that you can invite a, a friend 
too as well, along with their kids, because then we can turn that into an invite for the next week, December 12th, which is our Christmas, uh, our Christmas play. Yeah, so we're, we're kind of, December is going to be full of great Christmas, Christmas stuff. It's, yeah, it it's going to be a lot of it's fun. Gonna it's going to be a great time. We don't uh, bring this up every week. It, you know, it's kind of funny. I thought, my goodness, when's the last time we talked about an offering? It, it's funny that the announcements used to be the cover for an offering, and now they become their own event. This yeah. is kind of a fun thing that you're going to say. Well, it's, it's funny because I remember the, the, one of the very first times that I preached, I completely forgot to talk about offering, and I got a text afterwards, hey, so you're going to make up for all the, the lack of offering today, right? And I was like, wait, what? So now we don't even mention it hardly <laughs> we ever. So. We yeah, no, kidding, I, know. But I know. You have lots of ways to give. You have a lot of people, a lot of you have taken on giving online. Uh, we have the black box right there at the door, between the doors there, so you can give physically. You can mail it in uh, to the church address. Mm -hmm. it, it comes right out here to the post box, as well as some of you have chosen even to text. So mm -hmm. all different ways in order of you to, uh, to show your love for God. So I want to encourage you to, to keep faithful with that. That's good stuff. So, I, you know, I do want to get to probably, you know, the event of the week. It was very, very fun. Donuts and dodgeball. I showed up. It was, it was a blast. I mean, wondered how this thing worked. There were, there were 600 donuts, I do believe. 635. And, uh, and that doesn't include, like, the little prepackaged ones that I got at Sam's that we never even got to. So Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and no insult at all, at all. But, you know, I, I forgot what it's like to be around junior high with donuts. The, the, that scent of sweetness and body odor just mingling, <laughs> mingling in the air. It was, it it's was unique. It was precious. It was, it was, it was a gift. <laughs> it was a real gift. So love that. It was a great time. Uh, so one of the things that came out of that, they, they were running around with video cameras and phones and everything else, catching this stuff. And Julia Costa put together, I think, a great video that captures the day. And so we want to go ahead and show that to you. Now you could use some energy and some juice. And uh, we, we throw out this little warning to those of you watching at home. What we have learned is there are certain songs that we play that certain artists pretty immediately stomp on our heads. And so uh, this is one of them. There was, a, there was a Sunday you were speaking, actually, and you played a video, and the video ended, and the next slide that came up was, you have just violated blah, 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 and for the next si five minutes, there was dead silence. So they let the video play, but then they stopped that. So what we're going to do is you'll hear the music in the room. At home, you'll watch the images. You won't hear the music. That's being turned down uh, even as we speak. And the song lasts about 2 minutes and 12 seconds. So for those of you that watch later, you can either watch the pictures or scroll ahead. 2 minutes, 12 seconds. <laughs> we'll see you then. Let's watch the video. <laughs> I did not know. <laughs> I did not know I was being filmed. <laughs> it was... I'm watching the video ahead of time, and that comes on, and I'm like, I can't be, I'm feeling like a Kardashian. <laughs> Everywhere I go, I'm being filmed. This is not Busted. good. Yep. This is not good. Crazy. So, oh, my gosh. Anyway, that was, that was a blast. Do you want to add anything about the night? I mean, yeah. Just, my I mean, it was, it was so cool. I actually, uh, I canceled basketball practice that night and told my guys, like, hey, if you want to come, uh, and they, they all did show up. Uh, we had kids inviting cousins, neighbors, friends, and we had over 70 kids in the building uh, on Wednesday night, which is more than double what we normally have. Yeah. And it's, for, for me, I've, I've always said, it's never about the, the numbers, but for me, it's, it's about the courage of our kids. Mm -hmm. to, the courage to go out and say, hey, do you want to come with me and hang out with me at church? That, that takes guts, I think, now more than ever, um, because of so many stereotypes and so many different things that are being thrown at our kids. So they did a fantastic job of inviting and having fun. And, and it was, it was a, a really a blast. And I, I do want to thank all the, the people who made donuts. I understand that uh, in three particular households, the, the Kaluznis, Wojwodas, Majerises, there was a lot of donut making that day. And we want to say thanks for that. Um, and the, I want to give you a, a quick shout. If you, if you need to go support a donut place later on today. If, like, if you're feeling the, the incessant need, Sometimes you to, need go to go support a donut uh, shop, go to Home Cut and go to Donut Den. Because those two places, thanks to requests made by Julie Conroy and by Jaron Wojwoda, donated literally 400 donuts. Wow. Donated. Wow. I mean, just... Wow. So it was... 
just really, really cool. All they did was call and say, hey, we've got this event going on at a church. And they're like, yep, sure, show up at 4 o'clock, pick up these donuts, and, and you're good to go. And um, when Jaren went to go pick up hers, they said, yeah, you can take all the fresh stuff. And they just started clearing off the shelves. So that is just, it is just really, really cool wow. and moving, um, again, in, a, in, a time, in the times that we live in, that that kind of thing still happens. So um, <clears throat> Really, really cool. We also we had some other individuals donate donuts. Uh, Ron stopped by right before the event started and, and dropped some off, and that was just really, really cool. So thank you if you helped out uh, in any way or even just getting kids here. We know, we know that it is a sacrifice to, to drive uh, Wednesday nights and get kids here, so we thank you for, for getting them here, and they did hear about Jesus before they left. So, And you know what? We needed, we needed those moments of joy this week. Because it was a, it was a week of pain too. It was a hard week. Um, I know a lot of us. We've been we've been praying for a little boy named Brecken, who's uh, been suffering for quite a while, and he went home to be with Jesus this week. And um, and some of our high school kids lost a friend at school, uh, who decided that life was too hard to live anymore. And I just I keep. You know, I keep putting myself in the position of the parent who um, had dreams of a seven-year-old growing up or dreams of an 18-year-old graduating and what would come. And uh, <clears throat> there's the emptiness of waiting for that person to come walking in the room, and they don't. So hard. And... Um, I just, I want to, I hope this is effective. I hope it means something. I hope it really gets through. But, um, you know, front row, as representatives of the students in our church, you ever hurt that bad? He's here. I'm here. Your parents are here. Don't keep it tucked in your head. Don't, you there are people who really love you. And it would, it would break their hearts to know that you were living at that level of pain and you didn't say something. And uh, it's been my experience more often than not with people that decide to end their life that um, not many people had a clue. They often look like people who are really just solid, stable, and loving life. And... Uh, you need, you need to say something. You've got to. That is something that we would, um, we'd always take seriously. We, we, we want to be there for you in those moments. And you know, some of you went to Green Lake, and, and you heard my own story with this. I mean, the loss of a friend that le that sent me spiraling through several years of just I didn't want to be alive. And people in my life didn't know. I didn't tell them. I really didn't think adults in my life wanted to know. And um, we want to know. We want to know. We want to help. It would, it would break our hearts if we were here. We're, we're about more than donuts and dodgeball. So donuts and dodgeball is the way that we uh, have fun with you so that we can also have seasons of, of um, carrying you in your pain. And so I'd, I'd just like both of us to, to pray this morning. Uh, you go and then I'll go. And... Um, Pray for, pray for the families, pray for the moms and dads who are experiencing their first Sunday without their child, and uh, pray for our own kids. Let's, let's pray. God, we live in a completely broken and shattered world with a lot of pain, a lot of hurt. And we try and hold on to that pain and that hurt so that we don't impact other people. We think that we're just going to bother others if we share that. And God, we know from reading your word that, first off, you're always there. You're always there to hear our pain, to comfort us, to be there for us. 
God, sometimes that doesn't feel like enough. It doesn't feel like you're there. It doesn't feel like anybody wants to hear us. And I pray for, for our kids, Refuge Revive, the Littles, for our kids at our schools, Manuka, Shanahan, Troy, all the Joliet schools. We pray for our kids that they would know your love, that they would know that you care for them, and that they would be able to know that the people around them here at Southfield, the people who are close to them every Sunday, every Wednesday, and throughout the week, that, that we care too. I pray for the families that, that are missing someone this week. To not have that person with them, especially heading into Thanksgiving and Christmas, God, it's going to leave such a hole. And I pray that for those of us who know them and are close to them, we can fill that hole for them that we can be there to love and support those families and show them, show them your love. Show them that you care and, and just be there for them. We, we're looking at this name <clears throat> that the prophet Isaiah declared would be given to Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. And that name and that word, that, that concept, is embedded in one of the most popular psalms in the Bible. And yet it's, it's, it's popular because we often confront it at a point of death. That even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, we will fear no evil because you are with us. And for many people, when they are experiencing the extreme pain of death, the last thing they feel is your witness. It is often in that moment that they, that they feel in their, in their human spirit, they feel a sense of rejection and abandonment and hopelessness. It's hard. It's hard when a little boy dies of a terminal disease and we look to you, God, and we say, why? why? If, if you had been here, my child would not have died. And we look at a teenager who says life's not worth li living and, and, a, and a parent who's wondering, God, why, why didn't you help me help my kid? Those moments can feel so lonely. They can feel so much like you are not with us. I pray that you will help us to, to embrace the reality of Scripture rather than the lies of our experience. Because our experience wants to scream, we are alone, but your word says we are not alone. In fact, one of the best things that we can do for a friend when they are in pain is to just be with them. Not say a word, not fill it with our platitudes and, and, and try to fix it, but just be with them. And you promise that you're with. You're with the brokenhearted. And so today for these families, I pray for a sense of your witness, of calmness of, and quietness of soul. And I especially pray for our own kids today. I think most of us who are well past teenage years look at teenagers right now and say, thank God I don't live in the era these kids do. Life was simpler. Life was better. Adults weren't mentally insane everywhere. They lived through really hard times. And they live in a world that's conveying to them the lie that life should never hurt. We can remove every pain. Just take the shot. Just do this. Just do that. All pain will go away. But pain is part of life, and we need to learn how to deal with pain. And we need to learn that we don't have to deal with pain alone. So I pray for our kids. Guard their hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Guard them as they are on a battlefield that is just littered with wickedness. 
Help them to know they are not alone. You are with them and we are too. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen. Why don't we do this? Sherry, can you, uh, can you just skip us ahead to communion so that we can have a, a little quiet? So it's, uh, if I'm going to play football, I've got to learn how to call audibles. So anyway, um, we'll, we'll, we'll go ahead and um, at this time we'll go to communion. We have two tables at the front and two at the back. We have the gluten-free on either side. And uh, you can just continue a time of reflecting on God with you and with those in pain. Um, so just want to make sure our folks have a chance to, to prepare and take off the lids. Thanks, thanks for your flexibility. Appreciate it. Let's go to communion. Thank you, God, for reminding us again that we are never alone. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, November is here. If you... Uh, <clears throat> Woke up this morning and walked outside, and clearly you did because you are here. You know that we're into the cold, the dreary, the nasty of November. And we've decided to take advantage of November as what we're calling pre-Advent Advent, having a chance to uh, enter into a little bit quieter season to talk about where we are in our relationship with God. Because by the time Advent gets going... We'll be racing and we'll miss out on, I think in many ways, the reason, the spirit of Christmas. We'll miss out on that name, Emmanuel, which means God with us. And what we've been trying to do during this series is uh, we want to really lean into that name, but um, we want to, before we go directly to that name, talk about some of the ways that we treat God in a, in a non-with-us way. Because whether it is uh, it, we're in the season still that we're completely apart from God, we've not embraced Jesus as Savior and Lord, or um, we're walking a path that has just put God in a, in a different place. We're, we're not buying into the, the reality of those words. He is with us. Um, we, we find ourselves from time to time pushing God in our relationship with God to a different place than the one that he describes. And so we've been examining a few of those, hoping that we might take a look at where we really are with God, rather than just going along with the flow. Where are you really with God? We started with talking about the, the for me God, the God who is basically a, a dispenser, the God in whom I, I put in a prayer, he sends out an answer to prayer. He gives me what I want, the for me God. And we talk about the fact that that is, it's basically, it's based in a part of our human spirit that's, that's narcissistic, a part of our human spirit that, that sees ourselves as the center of our universe. And so we're expecting that God is just one of the many pieces of our universe that serve us. We move from that to, um, to a view that God is against us. And for a lot of people, that's where they live. They, they feel like they've got a, a big old kick me sign on their back. And God is just out to, to hurt them, out to cause them pain. And it seems like at every turn, no matter what happens, uh, everything goes well for everybody else. You're sitting in the prayer circle, you hear about all the blessings everybody else is receiving, and you feel like somehow, repeatedly, you get skipped over, and you don't know why. And, and it's rooted, in, in large part, in a pessimistic view of the world, a pessimistic view that just sees everything, everything being against a person. Today, I want to move in a little bit different direction and talk about the beneath me God. For some of us, we, we're just in a place that, that we feel like God is beneath us. He, he's below us, that, that in some way, uh, he is actually the one over whom we rule, that, that we're, we're God in our universe, and, 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 and God is beneath us. And I think in large part, as I've talked about people who take a beneath me approach to God. And you might think I'm immediately talking about atheists and agnostics, and I'm not. I'm talking about, I'm talking about some Christians, honestly, who take a, who take a position that, that God is beneath them because of the experiences they're going through. And it's, and it's simply rooted in a, in a spirit of cynicism. Cynicism is different than pessimism. I think, I think cynics are pessimists, but cynicism is in a class all by itself. Cynicism is an attitude characterized by a general distrust of others' motives. 
You just, you don't, you don't believe anybody, you don't trust anybody. Every, everybody's rotten, including God. A cynic may have a general lack of faith or hope in people, resulting in ridicule or scorn. Another person says a cynic is someone who believes that people are motivated purely by self-interest and that as a result, no one can be trusted. So a cynic is a person who no matter, no matter how other people act and no matter how God acts, they withhold trust. They just refuse to lean into trust. Nobody is trustworthy, including God. As I deal with uh, people who are cynical, here are a few things that I experience with, with people who are truly cynical to their core. One, they are just generally negative about life. Everybody else is happy about what's happening, they're joyful, and the cynic just always goes to the negative every time. You know, you're walking up this morning, and, and those kids are standing out there dancing and, and singing, and it's, and it's cold and everything else, and the cynic walks up and says, the stupid kid blocked my way. Can't, can't see the joy of the moment, right? Always looking for that, just what's that ick that I can pull out? And, you know, I mean, we can just have finished a great meal and everybody's celebrating. Yeah, that one piece of stuffing wasn't very good. You know, that, that's the cynic. They're always, they're always quick to point out, you all think it was good, but here's the one thing that was wrong, the one thing that could have been improved. In, in and, and that's because cynics are generally fault finders and nitpickers. They feel like they live for the sake of telling everybody else, here's what's wrong. Here's, here's, here's what could have been better. They tend to be intensely sarcastic people. There's, just a, there's a sarcastic wit about them. Now, you can be sarcastic and not be cynical. I can be sarcastic, believe me. I can be very sarcastic. But a cynic lives in sarcasm. You never, you never really know if you can take what they said seriously. They give you a compliment and you're going, oh, that wasn't a compliment, was it? There, there's a knife sticking out of my back, isn't there? You know, that, there's, there's the cynic. And, and a piece of the cynic's approach to life is they tend to be proud and above it all. There's just this spirit that they're a little better. They know a little more. You're, you're sweet. And when they, when, they, when they tell you you're sweet, they're saying, you're dumb as a box of rocks. They, they know more. They're proud. There's an arrogance there. Cynics live with God beneath them. In some way, they have decided that they are better than God, that they are above God. How does this happen? I'm going to look at three Bible characters who lived in a state of cynicism, at least for a season in their life, or maybe a few moments in their life. And the first one is Job. Job goes through a season of cynicism. Now, you know the story of Job found in the Old Testament. It is actually believed to be the oldest written book of the Bible. So, it's clearly the events of Genesis happened first. But Job is believed to be the oldest written book of the Bible. And it starts by, by talking about this court going on in heaven where, where people are coming before God and it says the accuser comes before God, Satan comes before God. And, and God, wants, God wants to show off some of, his, some of his prized possessions on earth, and he says, have you checked out Job? This guy, he lives so righteously. Satan, the cynic of cynics, the, the sarcastic of sarcastic, says, yeah, sure. If you did for me what you do for him, I would kiss your feet, man. I'd do anything, anything you ask. And so God says, fine, have at it. Cause him pain and suffering. You're not allowed to take his life. Do whatever you want. And event after event after event happens in the life of Job. He loses his kids. He loses his house. He loses his health. In some ways, he even loses his wife. His wife ultimately says, you've clearly sinned. He goes through all of this pain. And yet, he ends this part of the book by saying, the Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. If only the book could end early, because Job looked so good. But then the next chapter starts, and as the next chapter starts, Job is not only oozing from the sores on his body, Job is, Job is just, he's oozing pain. He is, he is in dreadful pain, and truth be told, he does not understand why God is letting this happen to him. And he just, he starts to let God have it, and all the people around him, he has three comforters who come 
to share with him. Three of the worst friends in human history, you know, the type that want to fix it, make it better, do all that kind of stuff. And, and with all of them, he just, I mean, he is, he is sharp tongue and he takes them down and honestly, he takes down God too. And, and somewhere around chapter 38, God responds. And, and God's response is, is simply incredible. It's simply incredible. Uh, he just starts to pour out. And, and say, there's, there's someone here accusing me. There's someone here who thinks that they know better. Let me see if I can I get a jump a slide here real quick. He says, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorant words? Brace yourself like a man, because I have some questions for you, and you must answer them. Can you imagine God saying, I'm about to quiz you. Let's go. And he goes on, I mean, these two chapters, I, we have them on dwell, listen to them, read them. I just, he said, where were you when I laid the foundations of the earth? Tell me if you know so much. Who determines its, its dimensions? Who stretched out the surveying line? What supports its foundations? Who laid the cornerstone as the morning stars came together and the, and the angels shouted for joy? He, he says, who kept the sea inside its boundaries, bursting from the womb? And as, it, as, it clothed, as I clothed it with clouds and wrapped it in thick darkness, for I locked it behind barred gates, limiting its shores, I said, this far and no farther you will come. Here, your proud waves must stop. He goes on and on in the chapters, basically saying, were you there when I did this? Were you there when I did that? Were you there when I made this? Were you there when I made that? He lays it out. And I love, Job comes to a response in chapter 40. God says, do you still want to argue with the Almighty? You are God's critic. But do you have all the answers? And Job gives a response. He says, I am nothing. How could I ever find the answers? I will cover my mouth with my hand. I have said too much already. I have nothing more to say. Don't you love, when, when you make a confession, isn't it nice when the other person says, confession received, thank you. Isn't it painful when the person says, wait, I have more. God has more. And he goes on for yet another chapter, blasting, were you here for this? 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 And, and Job, Job finally in chapter 42 says, I know that you can do anything, and no one can stop you. You ask, who is this that questions my wisdom with such ignorance? It is I, Job. And I was talking about things I knew nothing about, things too wonderful for me. You said, listen, I will speak. I have some questions for you, and you must answer. I have only heard about you before, but now I have seen you with my eyes. I tack back everything I said. I sit in dust and ashes to show my repentance. You see, for, for Job, he became God's critic. He started living over God. And it wasn't because he was an atheist or agnostic. He believed in God fully. The pain of life was too much. The pain of life just hurt too much. And he couldn't believe that a loving God would let him go through it. The pain just hurt too much. He had suffered extreme pain and loss. And the only way back, the only way back from that was what we saw, confession and honesty. I wonder what Job's relationship was like before the pain and loss with God. I wonder what his relationship was like. Because what I hear in the chapters that follow the pain that was inflicted on him is a guy that was dreadfully honest about what he thought. He just... Have you gone through something in life that finally brought you to the point of saying, I don't know that I believe? I don't know that I believe. The only way we can believe is if we come to a place of saying, I'm not sure if I believe. That's, where, that's when faith happens, right? Faith happens when we go through the hard thing and say, though you slay me, I still trust you. So you may find yourself in a place of ruling over God because you have, you've been in such a season of pain that you, just, you, want, you want to keep God down there. You want to keep God down there, and it's time for some, some honest confession of what's going on in your heart. When the honest confession came, Job was finally able to say, you are good. You truly are good. Our, our, second, our second cynic is Jonah. Jonah, his story is found in, in a four-chapter book 
toward the end of the Old Testament. You know the story. Here's a guy who is told that he's supposed to go preach to a wicked nation, a wicked city that had been just an absolute devastating opponent of Israel. And Jonah is a pretty nationalistic guy. He, 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 had, he had flags for his country all over his house. He, he loved his country. And the idea that he was supposed to go preach to this oppressive enemy and give them the opportunity to repent was repulsive to him. I mean, he wanted, he, he loved God because he knew God owns lightning and is not afraid to use it. His view of God, his view of God, if you're bad, you should be punished. And Assyria was really bad, and Nineveh was really bad. And his view was, you should be punished for what you've done wrong. You should be punished for what you've done to Israel. And here's the God of heaven saying, but I extend mercy and grace and forgiveness to everybody. That's who I am. That's my character. Jonah knows of God's compassion and mercy, and that it's so powerful that he doesn't dare go to Nineveh because if these people repent, repent God will actually forgive them. God will give him a second chance. So he runs away, he gets in trouble, ends up in a fish, ends up spit out, and he's given another opportunity. So you can do it or not. And he goes and he preaches and they repent. Now, most preachers, when they have a revival, they're excited, right? Not Jonah. Jonah comes down to, to chapter 4 and, and he is just irritated. He is, Jonah is the source of his, of his, of his cynicism. He's just, he's seething He's seething with contempt. He has contempt for wicked people. He has contempt for a God who would forgive wicked people. I don't know about you. There's some people in the world right now that I'd think, if God took them out, I wouldn't cry. That's a Jonah attitude. That's not a godly attitude. That's a Jonah spirit. That's not a godly spirit. A Jonah spirit says they deserve death. Let it happen now. God says, I am gracious and compassionate, slow to anger, rich in love. I give everybody an opportunity to repent. Jonah hated that about God. So, you know, you come to chapter 4, and it says that because God decided to not destroy them, he was angry at God. He's angry. He complained, didn't I say before I left home that you would do this? That, that, if, that if they repented, you forgive? I, I know who you are. I know you're a God of unfailing love. I didn't want them to be loved. I wanted them to be punished. And, and God literally says to him, is it right for you to be angry? These people needed a chance to repent. And we know that he, he goes out, another one of these events in the Bible where the guy just wants to curse God and die, and he goes and lays out in the sun, and a leafy plant miraculously grows over him. And, and, he's, and he finds this one little thing in life that he says, at least I have a leafy plant giving me shade. And, and the Bible tells us that, that God causes a worm to grow and kill the plant, and boom, it dies. And, and, and Jonah is just bitter as bitter can be that his plant died. He, he's just, he's just, he literally says, death is certainly better than living like this. Can't stand it anymore. And, and God says, is it, is it right for you to get angry because the plant died? Yes, it is. Even angry enough to die. God, you feel sorry about the plant, though you did nothing to put it there. I came, it came quickly and it died, but Nineveh has more than 120,000 people. A little smaller than Joliet. Living in spiritual darkness, not to mention all the animals. Should I not feel sorry for such a great city? He felt like God wasn't doing his job right. He had contempt for God because God wasn't getting justice right. Forget mercy, forget grace, forget all that stuff. I want to see some justice. When's justice going to happen? And, and the thing that would have cured Jonah if he had leaned into it, was compassion. To finally come to a place of compassion that we, can, that we can see wicked people as captives of Satan rather than our personal enemy. And that's not always an easy thing to do. But we place ourselves in an above place where God is beneath us when we decide we would do justice better. When we decide there's some attribute of God that we would do better if we were in his place. Let me give you the last guy. His name is Nathaniel. 
one of the disciples of Jesus, and his, his source, of, his source of, of cynicism is, is doubt. He's a doubter. And I think traditionally for people who have God beneath them, they have many doubts. They have many doubts about the validity of God. They have many doubts about the validity of Scripture. They're, they're big into science and, and think that science and God somehow conflict. They, they doubt a lot. They have a lot of doubts. So Nathaniel is invited by Philip. He says, we found the person Moses talked about. His name is Jesus, the son of Joseph from Nazareth. And his response is beautiful. Buffalo? Can any good thing come out of Buffalo? Cleveland? Can any good thing come out of Cleveland? You're getting the point. Nazareth was the Buffalo and Cleveland of Israel. It was scumland. Nothing good. The only thing good coming out of Buffalo and Cleveland are their highways so you can leave, right? That's it. The only good thing coming out of Nazareth was the path to leave. That's it. Nothing. People of importance don't come from Nazareth. That's a, that's a nowhere, nothing town. He had some doubts about whether anything good could come out of such a scummy place. I love this because he still decides to go. As he's approaching, Jesus says, can you imagine Jesus saying this to you? Now there is a genuine son or daughter of Illinois, a person of complete integrity. What? You're calling me a person of integrity? Hey, he says, how do, you, how do you know that about me? Who talked to you? And he says, well, I could see you under the fig tree before Philip found you. Now, only he knows he was under the fig tree. And he goes, wait, what? Rabbi, you are the son of God, the king of Israel. Only God could know that. You see, for, for, for Nathaniel, his doubt was cured with some proof. It was cured with some proof. Jesus proved himself to be God to Nathaniel. Hebrews 11.1, 1, I love this verse. I love it in this version. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. I hate that we refer to a leap of faith. A leap of faith sounds like I know this much and then I just, and then I just jump out into ignorance and hope it all works out. That's not faith. Faith is substance and evidence. It's the substance of things hoped for. It's the evidence of things not seen. I, I kind of laugh sometimes because when, when I talk to somebody who comes from a doubting perspective, and a lot of times it's, you know, they're coming from maybe an atheistic or agnostic standpoint, and, they, and they, they give you that little bit of looking down because they believe, you know, you love, you love the fantasies and fairy tales of the Bible, but I have science on my side, and science rules. And, and, and I laugh because when, when I hear people talk that way, I'm like, you do understand that um, you're a person of faith too. You're a person of faith too. I, let me make two statements. Every person in the world believes in God. Everyone does. You're like, you haven't met my uncle. No, everybody does. <laughs> everybody does. They don't all believe in Jehovah God. They don't all believe in God, the maker of heaven and earth, but they believe in a God. They may be their God. Science may be their God. Something they put something in charge of their life, and that's their God. Further, every person is a person of faith. You know, they still refer to it as the theory of evolution. I just laugh when I talk to people about evolution because they're like, fact, case closed. I'm like, theory. Theory means what? You have to put some faith in the conclusions of your ideas. Every person believes in God. Every person is a person of faith. Who's your God, and what are you putting your faith in? And is your faith actually worthy of what you're putting your faith in? Here's the difference between faith and trust and cynicism, in my view. Faith is hard, cynicism is easy. It's easy to be a cynic. I like being a cynic. It's easy to rip things apart. It is. It's a lot harder to find the good. But it is stinking easy to rip something. I could rip this room to shreds in five minutes. I mean, it's easy. It's easy to be cynical. Further, faith takes work 
Cynicism is lazy. You don't even have to try to be a cynic. Just do what comes natural. Faith takes work. Faith and trust also take risks. Cynicism is safe. It's a safe place to live. You don't have to work hard at it at all. And faith and trust is rewarded. But I got news for you. Cynicism is absolutely bankrupt. It's a bankrupt way of life. For most of us, when, we, when it comes to placing God beneath us, whether we don't believe in God or we do believe in God, when we come to those seasons of putting God beneath us, it is often rooted in deep pain, nurtured by contempt and reinforced by doubt. Most cynics would not want to admit that their life is rooted in deep pain. There is some pain so deep that you decided to reject God before he rejects you. I'm turning him away before he turns me away. And there's a growing contempt for God and a doubt of him. The question comes again, am I going to lean into cynicism and worship the beneath me God or Emmanuel, the with us God? And so again, I give you four questions to ask as you probe your own soul. The first is this. <laughs> what pain soured you on God? Would you finally be Have a Job moment. Let it spew. What is the deep pain that soured you on God? Most cynics, they like to, they put up the hard shell. They like to pretend that they weren't hurt. You've been hurt. You've been hurt deeply. And you've allowed that pain to sour you on God. Would you finally own it that there's a pain there that caused you to say, God is beneath me? What contempt pushes you from God? What's the attribute of God that you look at and you say, my God wouldn't do that? My God just wouldn't do that. Or if I were God, I wouldn't do that. What contempt pushes you from God? Further, what doubt separates you from God? What's the thing that you just keep saying, until I get to the answer to this one, I can't believe? What's the doubt that pushes, separates you from God? And then, and then the final question I'd have to ask you is this. This cynicism that you've chosen to dwell in, this place of being above God, God beneath you, is this really living? Is that the life you want? Do you want to live in kind of a state of low-boil bitterness all the time? Not believing in anything, not trusting anything, just being dark and resentful all the time? Is, is, is that really living? I want to be a little bit more like the kids on the sidewalk today. I choose joy because I choose God. Every person believes in God. Every person is a person of faith. What's the difference maker? Pride or humility? Are you too haughty to humble yourself before God? Are you too arrogant to say there's someone else in charge and his name is the God of heaven? So, Father God, I pray that you would give us humility to look into whatever it is that has caused us to place you beneath us, to push you down, to leave you in that place below us. Lord, I pray, I pray for those today who, who come into this room and they, they have no belief in God whatsoever. They're agnostic, atheists, they, they, they just can't see the sense of any of it. That you would break, break and humble their heart that they'd want to own you. For those of us who have been through such deep pain that we just can't, we can't reconcile your love with our pain, give us that opportunity to work through that pain, to not just continue to hold on to that pain, but to work through it and see it as, as the actual pathway toward you. For those of us that think we could do God better, we could, we could do your, your attributes better, help us to have that Job-like moment where you question us and we repent in dust and ashes. Oh, Lord God, draw us to yourself. Bring us home, we pray, in the name of Jesus. Amen. You all ready? Good. We're going to sing a song. Let's stand. Great is your
Until you make it is biblical. We can talk about that in another sermon. But what I do believe is that sometimes we have to listen to the Word of God and the words of God and receive them even though we're not there yet. Knowing that that is truth, that my experiences aren't and my circumstances aren't what determines what is true. What God has said is true. And that my life and my experiences get interpreted through what God says, not through what my experiences say. And so you may be in a beneath me God season. And we sing these words this morning, great is your faithfulness to me. And, and you're, you're, you've reworded it this morning, great is your faithfulness to you. And you're pointing to everybody else, but you're not bringing it home. We need, we need to be inundated with the truths of God's word and the truths often spoken through songs, not to fake it until we make it, but to pray that prayer that was prayed in, in, in the Bible directly to the face of Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. I need you to strengthen right now my unbelief. And so I hope that uh, you will, throughout this week, receive the words of Scripture Receive the words of Christ as true and allow those words, much like, much like Job being confronted by the Almighty, allow the truth to confront your circumstances, move from your spirit of cynicism and embrace Jesus. And one last thing before we go. You know, we talk about kids and them having the invitation to uh, find a safe place and safe years if they're going through a season of pain that causes them to want to end their life, but truth be told, that happens to 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s, 80s, 90s, and beyond. Everybody goes through those moments. We are here for you. Don't go through it alone. I look forward to seeing you next week.